Well, it's a great pleasure to be with you today. Um, I'm Daniel Robbins, and um, in case you were curious, I'm wearing the clerical shirt because this is the norm in Malawi. Pastors wear clerical shirts, so uh, it's begun to feel normal to me as well. Um, it's a, a real delight to be here, and um, it's a, a great thing. We feel really honored by this church. Uh, you guys praying for us so much, uh, desiring to support us and encourage us. Um, those things mean a lot to us, and uh, we just want to say thank you. We're able to do our work that we do because of you guys and because of the support of this church and others in the Northwest. Um, as Brian mentioned, I work in uh, teaching theology to pastoral candidates um, and have a great time doing it. We have lots of fun. Um, and they are kind of the new generation of Presbyterian ministers within Malawi. And um, I'm excited for the future of Malawi as I look at my students. Uh, my wife, as he mentioned, works within... Uh, training and supporting Malawian counselors who do the work of caring for girls who've been sexually abused. They work in the one, in the single uh, sexual abuse safe house in Malawi. Um, and so we just feel tremendously privileged to do the work we do. Um, this is kind of the stuff that we feel like we've been dreaming about doing, and now we get to go do it. And uh, it's a great gift that you all are behind us and praying for us, and, um, and you even let us come and preach, too. Um, if I look a little odd at times, I, I hurt my leg with a mountain biking fall the other day. Don't pity me. It was my own choice, you know. <laughs> I'm just living with my own consequences. But if I limp a little bit, that's what's happening there. Um, let me pray for us since the scriptures have already been read. Our Lord Jesus, we honor and cherish your presence and uh, long for your spirit to come and minister to us. Uh, there is nothing more rich than your work and your um, words coming and giving us life, and especially giving us a taste of who you are. And so we pray that you would do that in this time. Uh, me among them, Lord, that you would uh, come and minister to each of us as your students, uh, that you would uh, bring your word and enliven us by your spirit. Uh, we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Uh, before I get started, sorry, I forgot to mention this. We do have these pamphlets in the back. If you want to learn more about us, they're on that table, and there's a sign-up sheet there as well if you want to get our, our updates. Um, I think last time I preached, a couple years ago, uh, I was preaching on how God will build his church, regardless of whether or not we cooperate, that God is going to be uh, building his church in the world, and uh, we can count on that. Uh, this time I want to think about how he does that, and I want, to see that, I want us to see that he delights in doing this through diverse peoples, diverse cultures, diverse giftings, and uh, politics, and trainings, and families, and skills, and so on. Uh, each culture within the global church has a distinct contribution to give. And this is a paradigm shift for missions. Um, things have not always been viewed this way within mission work. So um, four points this morning. First of all, we'll talk about the problem. Second, we'll talk about the Spirit's desire, the Spirit's desire. Third, we'll talk about the Spirit's aim, what is he up to? And then fourth, we'll talk about the Spirit's logic of honor. I'll try and hit these quickly um, as we go. So the problem, first of all, uh, in some ways, uh, it wouldn't seem like there is a problem. Malawi is the poster child of success. If you don't know where Malawi is, by the way, uh, if you can picture Africa as a continent, you know where Madagascar is, the big island off the coast. If you come directly inland, that hits Mozambique, and then Malawi is held by Mozambique. It's a landlocked country at the south end of the Rift Valley that makes its way up to Kenya. So we're down in southeastern Africa. 
Um, Malawi was one of those places where David Livingston came and ministered, um, one of those famous missionaries from back in the day. And in many ways, it's the poster child of success. It's been hugely successful. The African church, uh, the church in Malawi is ginormous. There are roughly 2,000 people for every one pastor within the Presbyterian church. Right? There's more Christians in Africa than there are people in America. Stunning. Stunning. Um, and we praise God for that. But if you've ever spent time in a former British colony, um, you'll know that the Brits were not the worst of the colonists. Uh, but that's not saying much. Uh, they were not like inventively cruel like the Belgians were. Um, but the Brits really got a name for themselves as being harsh and demeaning, insulting, uh, very abusive. Um, and so in Malawi, British missionaries were joined as well by missionaries from the Reformed Church of South Africa. Now, the Reformed Church of South Africa, these are the same people in the 1900s who thought up apartheid, that classification of people by race and dividing people into different sectors of being able to live in certain places. And those people were missionaries in Malawi, actually in the village where my wife and I and our family lives. And so uh, these people, we would love to think that they were not racists, but in fact, they were. Uh, they did really wonderful things, right? They evangelized. They brought the gospel to people who didn't have it. And if you talk to Malawians, they will always begin by thanking God for them bringing the gospel. They brought literacy programs. They bought a hospital. Um, they translated the Bible into Chichewa, our local language. What a gift. And after they built a church for uh, people to worship in, they built a separate church for the whites to worship in. Yeah? Uh, we can go on. There's many other examples from within our, the architecture of our home, the way things are laid out, practices. I can give you more examples. But these very same missionaries were very much so racists. So South African involvement in Malawi slowed uh, after we gained independence in 1963. But the heritage is long-lasting. Uh, it is still alive and well today. Uh, before we moved to Nkoma, my wife and our kids and I went and visited and said to the people in charge, hey, we'd love to come and join. Would that be helpful? Do we have anything you would want? Uh, want to make sure and get their permission before we showed up. And uh, during one of those visits, they were introducing me to a group of students. And they said, this is the most reverend professor, Dr. Daniel Robbins. Da, da, da. He's going to teach us theology. You know, they love to honor people. It's one of their beautiful things. Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> uh, maybe a half of those things. Um, I'm really excited to come and teach theology, yes, but I'm also excited to see how you all grow and how you all might actually teach us things in the West. And the class and the teacher all started laughing. Laughing. Uh, they all laughed because they were so steeped in their own position of being lesser that they couldn't imagine that they would have anything valuable to contribute. They had so internalized uh, the idea that if it was African, it was second rate. And this has been the dominant pattern of missions for the last, I don't know, 100 years. Um, we in the West, <clears throat> we bring... Um, we are the hero. We bring clean water and medical care and money and orphan care and even theology. And of course, many of those things are really good and needed. Those things can be important. And they were certainly needed at first. Uh, but the point is that actually the church, the African church, Latin American church, Asian church, um, are all still largely in a position of receiving. 
most especially the African church, receiving and passively being helped. And so my students have internalized this, that Africa is second rate. And so they generally think that to do things better is to be more Western. One example, it'll be 90 degrees at 9 a.m., and my students will show up to class in a three-piece suit. <laughs> I'm like, guys, we don't need to do this, you know? <laughs> like, oh, no, no, we are going to dress like pastors. I'm like, okay. And they love Wayne Grudem, you know? I, so maybe some of you love Wayne Grudem. I find him to be the most boring theologian of all time. Um, but this is the sort of self-deprecation that Paul speaks of in verses 15 and 16. My students laughed as if to say, I I'm not an I. The body has no need of me. Uh, I think in the West, we've generally internalized this as um, we do missions because we're powerful. Because we're powerful, right? Uh, people have said this to me before. Uh, well, you know, the dollar just goes so far over there. Of course we should be doing something with it. Um, we don't do missions because it's so cheap. It's actually not. It's actually quite expensive. Uh, we don't do missions because we can accomplish so much or even because we have so much and the nations need so much. Um, many of our missionaries, I, I spend time with them, uh, feel an inordinate pressure to accomplish much, to have a big impact. And that, of course, has to do with this view of missions as power. Missions as power. In the best cases, we don't consciously think this. Our missionaries and our churches, we want people to know God, right? And that's a great pleasure and joy and the greatest of all things. But in, in the worst cases, we do missions out of guilt. We uh, think that we have a superiority or more, and so we ought to give. And this is the sort of uh, self-exaltation that Paul speaks of in verse 21, um, where the Let's see, where the eye says, I have no need of you. The eye says that to the body. Uh, we tend to think that we're the only ones with gifts to offer. Uh, somehow the Spirit forgot about the African church when the gifts were being given out. <clears throat> now, I don't think anyone would come out and say those things, but it's certainly how things are practiced. Uh, I think this passage teaches us the opposite. 1 Corinthians 12 teaches us the opposite. The Spirit of God is at work to raise, strengthen, and offer the gifts of the African church to the rest of the global body. And it also teaches that you and I are impoverished until we receive them. We're impoverished until we receive them. We in the West need the rest of the world just as much as they need us. Or as Paul says in verses 13 and 14, in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free all made to drink the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. I think the Lord has much planned for a fully formed, mature African church. In fact, those numbers I just quoted to you in terms of the growth and the rapid spread of Christianity in Africa uh, largely has been credited not to the original missionaries, but to African evangelists after the colonists left. So, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. That's verses 18 and 20. We need them. We need them. Secondly, let's talk about the Spirit's desires for a global church. You know, this passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, is most obviously about 
God's giftings within a local congregation. And you, you th see this and feel this is within this body at Oaks Parish. It's a gift. Um, you know, uh, but I think that this has uh, applications to the global church itself. And that the same pattern we see within the local body is also true within the cultures and peoples and the distinct gifts and contributions of the church. Let me just defend that point for just a second. Uh, in the New Testament, the mention of tongues, I'm convinced, has to do with known languages, spoken languages. And that is to say, being able to communicate with some, someone across a cultural barrier. Being able to make known who God is and what he's done in another language and to another people who've not been reached. It's an essentially missional sort of gift. Uh, you can see that in Acts 2. But the, Paul also has this reference to the main ethnic groups, the main ethnic boundaries that made up the church of the day, Jews and Greeks drinking from the one spirit. Um, Paul didn't realize just how enormous the church would grow to be. Right? We have Christians in Croatia, in Malawi, in Congo, in Burundi, in Uruguay, in Slovakia, in Siberia, right? Not to mention Portland, right? <laughs> there are, God has people all over the world. It's amazing. And what I want us to see is that actually the Spirit loves this, that this is actually by design. Um, look at verse 7, or uh, sorry, verses, uh, verse 11 with me. The Spirit desires to give gifts and desires to give diverse gifts. In verse 11, he says um, that he gives gifts to each one individually as he wills. Or I think uh, the NRSV has, says, as he chooses. In the Greek, that can be translated into as he desires. He does what he wants. This whole thing is driven by what the Spirit wants to do. The Spirit is totally free to do as he pleases. And what he wants to do, it turns out, is to fill the world with a diverse set of gifts and peoples. Uh, it's a beautiful thing how the Spirit gives gifts. If you go back to 1 Corinthians 2, it talks about the Spirit reading us, studying our own souls as the Spirit also studies God's mind and makes us known to God and God known to us. And out of that full, intimate knowledge of our life and the story and the things we've experienced, He gives us gifts. I want you to have these strengths. I want you to have these talents. And I want you to have these things in order to build up the church because of who you are, because of the life I've given you, because of the ways I'm training you. And I want us to see that that's actually what he's doing in the global church. <clears throat> apparently, apparently, the Spirit is delighted by uh, manifold, resplendent, intimately curated Diverse gifts, so vast and uh, unendingly diverse that we can say that the global church lacks no good thing. And of course, uh, we can learn something about the spirit here. Can you imagine the opposite? Right? The spirit is not monotone. The spirit loves a panoply, a panoply of peoples. Uh, if you imagine the opposite, it would be a little bit like going to a farmer's market. And um, you guys are in the Northwest, you love farmer's markets. <clears throat> uh, the first booth, boutique chicken nuggets. Okay, cool. You know, that's fun. Seven-year-olds in the crowd are like, yes. Second booth, also boutique chicken nuggets. Third booth, you know, chicken nuggets, right? And it turns out the entire farmer's market is all boutique chicken nuggets. 
And at some point, you just think, I guess this is it, <laughs> right? Like, that's cool first couple times, but wow, a little boring, a little boring. The Spirit's not like that. The Spirit loves to have the multitude of cultures bringing each of their own distinct gifts, each of their own languages, each of their own contributions to the table. The culinary image is strong. Uh, we can think of all the gifts we enjoy from each other's cultures. So third, what is God aiming with this global gifting? I want to say he's aiming for mutual life, mutual life. Look at verse 7 with me. Um, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That word common good means just mutual benefit, uh, the thing we profit from together. Uh, the Spirit gives different gifts because they're meant to contribute different things to the body for a shared and common good. A healthy body works together, both giving and receiving. Uh, God has given me gifts of preaching and teaching and understanding. I enjoy those things, and somehow people like to listen to me do those at, at times. Um, but the truth is, is, I actually really desperately need people who are uh, full of faith, who can lead me into confidence, because that's not something I naturally have. And I desperately need people who are able to sit with people who are suffering, people who are overwhelming, and lead me into that place and remind me that I can just be there with them before the Lord. That's a place I've needed other people to walk me through. And, um, you know, this is the way the body works. So to decide that one part of the body is more valuable than another is just, is just stupid, right? That's part of what this passage is saying. It would be dumb to say that this part of the body is more important than this part of the body. That sort of superiority is stupid. Uh, the, the, the stomach needs the hands and the mouth, which need the muscles, which need the bones, which need the blood, and so on and so forth. We feel this in our own bodies when one part is hurting. Um, but I also want us to notice that this diversity doesn't mean that truth doesn't matter or that everyone has equal offerings. The eye is distinctly better at seeing than the foot. Yeah? Right? We don't ask the foot to do that job. It will be bad at it. And so, in fact, what we really do is we rely on one part of the body to offer that to us, and we offer our strength back to the others. The whole system is built on one of mutual interdependence, giving and receiving. Those distinctives allowed us, allow us to build up a shared mutual life. Okay, so what does that mean for the global church? Well, um, I think that what God is up to in the global church is he's asking us to build true partnership with peoples around the world uh, of mutual dependence and generosity. Uh, we are to befriend each other and partner with each other. This is verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? The African church has particular strengths that we don't, or that we're not good at in the Northwest. Um, trust in the Lord in the midst of poverty. Uh, we are Americans, and we love security. Maybe you don't know that. We love security in the U.S. It is a deep, cherished value for us. And I want you to know that our African brethren, they understand that, and yet know what it is to walk with the Lord in very insecure times for a long time. That's a gift that we could learn from them. Uh, prayer and all-night vigils as an entire church, this is something they are great at. 
You know, at Christ Church Bellingham, um, we had a wonderful uh, prayer ministry that was led by a woman in our church. And I think I went to it once the five years I was pastoring there. In fact, it was not well attended by our congregation either. Some, uh, some people did attend, and we love them for that. Uh, in general, in the Northwest, we're not very good at prayer. It's not part of our life. But uh, in Malawi, in our local village, they split up the village by kind of wards, parishes, as it were. And they have local prayer meetings for each one of those wards. And each one of those wards will be attended by 40 or 50 people at each prayer meeting once a week. Not to mention if they have an all-night prayer vigil that will have 200 people in the church. It's wild. They also have a kind of sacramental approach to life that sees spiritual power behind every event. Now, there are ways that that can get excessive, but it's a great corrective to us for whom the Lord is comparatively distance to our life and our thinking. The Lord is somehow outside of the events of our life. We, we need these people. We need them. We need their strengths. Um, I work in theology. That's, my, that's my, uh, one of my passions. And I think African theologians have a lot to offer, uh, but I'm actually not looking to exalt African theology just because it's African. Right? That's, that's the kind of empty, kind of exploitative badge-wearing that neither they nor we need to be on about. Um, rather, I want to invest in and promote a trained and mature Malawian theology because God has purchased them with his own blood. Right? The same things that have given all of us a chance to learn and read are the same things that God has given them, the same blood and the same spirit. And things are shifting, uh, and it's time we, we change how we think. Uh, the African church is coming into its own. So let me tell you a little bit about my friend Maxwell. He's one of my best friends in Malawi, Maxwell Chiwoko, the Reverend Maxwell Chiwoko. He's our um, Old Testament professor within our faculty. He's working on his PhD in Hebrew grammar, which sounds terrible to me, and I'm proud of him. <laughs> um, but he's working on uh, the Psalms, and he's looking at class and poverty in the Psalms, that word oppressed or afflicted or lowly or humble. It's all the same word. And he's beginning to think about that. Um, but more than that, over the last eight years, he's established a culture of kindness and humility among faculty, which was missing before he and another member showed up. Uh, he's part of the student soccer team. He's lived with the students. He travels with the students. Um, he's also beginning the first whole Bible commentary to be written in Chichewa. All of our theological resources are in English. So he's beginning the work of actually developing theological language within Chichewa, which doesn't really exist. Along with that, uh, he has a whole team of guys working on that, and they're hoping to produce a theological dictionary. So amazing stuff he's doing. Uh, better than all of that, he's my friend, right? He's welcomed me into his life. He's taught me how to teach in the classroom, how to understand our institution, uh, and we share in each other's gifts because we're friends. So first of all, I just want to recognize uh, how much he has to offer as uh, a well-trained, faithful, beloved brother, but also how much generosity he's shown me, right? I'm, I'm thriving in Malawi because Maxwell's helped me along. He's welcomed me in. But also, you know, when I read the scriptures with Maxwell, he and I see very different things. I'm, I'm a skater kid from Ballard in Seattle. He's a corn farmer's kid from Kasungu. So when we read the same scriptures, we find different things. And it's really, really informative and really, really uh, builds both of us up. 
So just take that one step further, and let's just imagine what happened if we really took it seriously and invested in a whole generation and raised up a mature and trained generation of African theologians. What sort of insights would they be offering us? Right? What sort of gifts would they have to teach us and train us? So much so we could also say the same for my wife's work, for counselors, a whole generation of faithful, mature, godly Christian counselors. Uh, we need each other, and it's awesome because we get to do this through friendship. And that's our, our final point. How do we relate to each other? What does mutuality look like in the global church? Well, it, um, the spirit follows a logic of honor. The spirit follows a logic of honor. True partnership is driven by honor and fun, not power and dominance and fear. Fear of missing out or fear of not being important enough. No, we get to honor and have fun. And part of what this means is that we need to invest in each other's gifts. Um, I don't know if you recognize this about gifts, but they take practice, right? Uh, I'm a decent preacher because I've had enough people who suffered through all of my bad sermons, right, who are willing to give me a pulpit and say, hey, you didn't totally bomb, <laughs> right? And let me help you with these things. Let me pray for you. Uh, we need encouragement. We need people to invest in us. People have given us money for us to go and study. What a gift. And this is actually the logic of love. Paul ends chapter 12 saying, I will show you still a more excellent way. The next chapter is Paul's famous chapter on love. This is his whole logic of gifts. It's a logic of honor, a logic of love. Let me read to you verses 22 through 26 to freshen, refresh in you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Um, when Paul speaks about the unpresentable parts of our body, he's, he's talking about private parts, if you look at the language in the Greek. Uh, he means that he's not speaking about members of our church that we want to hide away, okay? Um, that's not what he's after. The, the analogy is not so much which parts of the body do you need to cover up, but that in the same way that we honor parts of our body with more care than others, so also within our local congregation we honor certain parts more, right? He says that we give greater honor to the parts that lacked it. Um, we supply honor and care for the parts of the global church which need it. And I want us to notice that Paul speaks of honor rather than need. Uh, he doesn't speak of fixing each other's problems. Uh, in my mind, the most honoring thing I can do is to invest in someone's gifts, encourage them, and then also receive their gifts back, right? To not only teach and invest and train and bless, but also to then sit down underneath them and receive it as well. That now we build up each other. Uh, what this means practically is that we are called to invest and build up the global church. I'm not here to convince you that everything African is gold. It's not. Uh, but I am here to convince you that we should put as much money and time and people and energy into building up the global church. In particular, I'm interested in the Malawian church because that's where we are. But we don't have to stop there. There's lots of good works going on in the world. 
Um, second, this also means we get to offer our gifts. That's what true partnership means. And there's stuff that we're good at in the Northwest PCA churches that other churches aren't very good at. Uh, there's some real lovely gifts we have. We have a really rich understanding of the grace of God uh, driving our sanctification. Right? We have a rich Reformed heritage of theology. We have a, a number of edifying liturgical practices that I would love to see picked up in other places. We have a very thoughtful approach to mission work while being faithful. These things are really important. And I would love to see those things enjoyed by other congregations around the world. Uh, we also need to say we have a lot more money than the Africans. Plain and simple, right? And there's actually no shame in that. But it is a privilege, and privileges require responsibility, uh, that we leverage our privileges for the sake of those around us. Um, now, I understand the Northwest is economically diverse. You can be poor and live in a rich city. I get it. Um, what I'm saying is that corporately, as a body, we need to take responsibility to give as much as receive. But if we're going to give gifts that are really going to build up for a mutual benefit, then they need to be offered in mutual partnership. And this is something that Americans are really bad at, generally speaking, about missionaries. Um, usually what happens is an American shows up in Malawi with a lot of money and a lot of desires to start a project, start a clean water project or an orphanage or an educational thing. And after two, three years, they feel like they've really established it and they feel good about it. And they say, great, we've accomplished our mission. Now you guys go do it. And then they leave. And the moment they leave, the project either falls apart or it becomes corrupted in a means of, of siphoning money. And the reason for that is because it was never really begun according to local desires, Malawian initiative, Malawian interests, Malawian buy-in, Malawian ownership. They didn't set the agenda. And this is something we struggle with. We often struggle as Westerners to not set the agenda. But this is what this means, this mutual partnership, is to invest in their agenda. It's important for my wife and I that we work and support Malawians in their work. That's what we're doing. Um, finally, in my judgment, I think that what this really means is that we spend money to build relationships. Um, we spend money to build relationships. We want our partnerships to turn into friendship. Actually, after all, we're going to be sitting across the table from these people in glory, and we might as well start our friendship now. Um, but this is what the Lord said in uh, Luke 16, 9. He says, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, not if, when, when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. And so that's part of what we're doing on this home assignment is discussing ideas. How can we, as the Northwest Presbytery, partner with this Presbyterian church in Malawi and develop real meaningful long-term relationships? And we're discussing that with Oaks Parish in particular. Uh, we'd love to have uh, some of you all come out and also to be able to send some of my students out as well. Um, so we're still dreaming about those things and praying. But ultimately, that's a place we would love to see is real meaningful partnership. Um, let me just close by saying something about God here. Um, I think we see much of who God is in this passage. And it's really beautiful. Um, we see his generosity, first of all, that he operates by his own logic of honor, right? That the parts that lacked honor, he gives all the more honor to, right? This is the whole logic of the gospel, that the son, being full of the father's affection and kindness and gifts, says, I would happily give it all up 
and join humanity, become human, because it would be my delight to call them my brothers and my friends. I would love to be their priest, to sit and dwell among them, and also to suffer for them. And so having bought us and our African brethren for himself, he now gives us the profound honor of participating in his ministry. This whole thing is covered with God's gifts, isn't it? Right? But those gifts are aimed at allowing us to have a role in the salvation of our neighbor. Just think about that for a second. What a tremendous honor. God could have done all of this without us. He doesn't need us. He's a little bit like the dad who's going out to change oil in the car and is like, kids, come along, you're going to help me. And, right? and the kids are like, great, dad. They run along. And you know how kids are. We, <laughs> we changed the oil on our truck this last time and one of our kids got doused with the engine oil. <laughs> kids make a mess of stuff, right? They kick over the oil and they get dirt into the engine and they find the wrong thing. But you know what? Those kids had the end their hand on the end of the wrench and they feel so proud right young kids come in mom I helped and you know what the dad says they helped right I'm so pleased I'm so pleased that they could be a part of my work it's such a privilege to be able to share my work with them right that the father our father in heaven loves to give us the greater honor as the parts that lacked it to give us gifts that we might participate. And then even more than that is humility. Stunning. He receives those gifts back from us and says, thank you. I gave you that gift. You did about half of what I asked, and I'm so pleased that you've given it back to me. <laughs> it's profound. So what I want us to see more than anything else is that God's heart towards us is richly, abundantly generous, kind, honoring, humble. And he invites us to step into that same generosity towards each other and to receive the same generosity from each other across the global body of Christ. Let me pray. Our Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you uh, have not only saved us but given us the great honor of being part of your work um, whew, we uh, praise you for that and we praise you that we're not alone that you are building up your body across the world Lord um, make us worthy of the honor you've shown us but we pray especially that your spirit would be at work to enliven to energize our use of our gifts that you give us the courage and the boldness knowing that you are gracious and kind and uh, Lord lead us into this new stage of your church we, we don't know what we're doing entirely with the global church and so we pray that you would teach us your ways in Jesus name Amen <laughs>